On this episode of the Oklahoma Breakdown with Hiker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC, the new defensive coordinator at FAU, Mike Stoops, joins us for an interview. We talked to Mike about his new job and the journey he's been on ever since he was let go at OU. We talked some OU football by discussing who the best OU quarterback of the 2000s is. We recap an epic bedlam in football guys talking basketball and finish up by giving you our winners and losers of the weekend. Please download and subscribe to the podcast, rate it five stars, and write us a good review. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Just search Oklahoma Breakdown on any of those, and you'll find us. All right. I'm man Michael Hosty. We'll kick this thing off. It's time for the Oklahoma Breakdown. It's a beautiful Monday, March 1st, and you're listening to the Oklahoma Breakdown with Iker and Lehman, presented by Metro Ford of OKC. Metro Ford of OKC's inventory is the best of the best. In fact, they own more Black Widows and more 2021 F-150s than anybody else. They're the only Roush and Rocky Ridge dealer in the state. You can find a ride at Metro Ford of OKC that you can't find anywhere else in Oklahoma. Just like their selection of vehicles is unmatched, so is their customer service. The Metro Ford of OKC Difference Program is included with the purchase of every new and pre-owned vehicle. It includes free oil changes for life, lifetime window tint, lifetime nitrogen fill for your tires, complimentary wheel locks, interior fabric protection, complimentary service loaners, a complimentary shuttle with service, and a complimentary multi-point inspection. Come feel the performance when you test drive a Roush or Raptor and come see why the difference is real at Metro Ford of OKC. Visit MetroFordOfOKC.com for more information or go to the dealership and tell them we sent you. Now recording this on Sunday night, please don't forget to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and let us know who you want us to try to get on the podcast. Teddy, we've got your defensive coordinator. We've got Mike Stoops on this episode. Let's go. Can't wait. Um, Mike's fantastic. I'm glad he's got that FAU spot, uh, defensive coordinator. Who knows? A couple of good years there. No telling where we're going to see him end up. Yeah, I'm really excited for him. And I know that a lot of OU fans feel a certain way about Mike Stoops, but uh, the interview is really interesting. Uh, It's clear that he's done some soul-searching and learning there those two years he was at Alabama so it's really good you guys will enjoy it now I did want to start here before we get to the OU stuff and just uh, send my condolences to the Notre Dame football family Uh, Lewis Nix the third who was the best defensive lineman I played against in college passed away over the weekend was found dead over the weekend at the age of 29 uh kind of some mystery around it, some weird stuff. Uh, his car was found in a pond. Uh, he had been shot in December. I had checked in on him because we had 
I, I, I'm not going to pretend like we were best friends or anything, but we, we had the mutual respect of playing each other those two times in college. We were in the same draft class, and it, it's just really sad. It, it's really, really sad. And I was pretty shaken up when I saw the news because this was a guy that had an absolutely infectious personality and was the life of the party and always was fun to be around and anything, anytime I ran into him. So I guess the, what, what I want to say is that just, he is one of the last guys I ever thought something like this would happen to. And I, I, I don't know the details yet. Uh, they haven't kind of figured out what happened, but I think it's a good reminder to just reach out to your people, man. I mean, check in on them. You never know what someone's going through. You never know what someone's deal with dealing with and the people that you think will never not be okay. Just might be the ones that won't be okay. So if, if you can check in on someone that maybe you haven't checked in with in a long time, that that's all I'm saying. I, I hate to start it there, Ted, but I, I just saw that over the weekend and it, it, uh, it shook me up a little bit. It's tough news. It's always tough news. And, you know, it's something that honestly happens way too often uh, with with former athletes. Um, I don't know. I think guys, and, and I don't know what his position was, but this is just kind of generally speaking that once football is gone, there, there's a lack of, of you know, what do I do next? What do I do now? I've always been a football player. And now that I'm not a football player, I'm nobody. So I don't know. It's just, it, it's a, it can be a, a different world. And I know everyone thinks that, oh my gosh, you're, if you're a athlete at a university like Notre Dame and, and playing the NFL, then you've got a leg up on everyone. And that's true, but it's still difficult for a lot of guys to deal with. And man, he was a good player and played on some unbelievable defenses there at Notre Dame. D-line, linebacker, secondary, they were all great. And it, and it started up front with this guy. He was that, that big what he go about 330 or so or more at no he went a whole lot that's all i know he was <laughs> that was a heavy dude that was a hard dude and did he move. wear number one he was a single he digit did. one yeah. yeah numero uno yeah so sad. Uh, rest in peace man just really really sad okay let's get to the ou stuff ted and let's start here everyone saw it all over social media OU put up another big 12 championship banner in the indoor facility there in Norman, you win the big 12, you hang a banner, them's the rules. And I, I was just thinking about it. Cause we never really did like a season recap or anything like this, but it's kind of, this may sound weird, but that banner feels like it certainly was one of the most difficult for OU to earn, especially recently, because now I'm not trying to rank, OU's Big 12 championships from how hard they were to win or anything like that. But you look at the circumstances last season, you know, losing those first two conference games to Kansas State and Iowa State, uh, not having Ronnie Perkins and Ramondre Stevenson for half the year, all of the COVID stuff, right, that presented its own challenges with the players constantly worrying about if they're going to be available or not. It, it, it does feel like a hell of accomplishment to win a big 12 championship last year. I, I know that we've gotten so used to them. It's the six, one, a row six, one in a row. It almost feels like they don't matter 
at this point, but that's still a hell of an accomplishment. It's cool to see him hang that banner. Yeah, I, I don't know how you feel, but um, whenever I was there, it was it was a cool moment to. I mean, winning the game is always big. I mean, that, that's that's obviously the biggest thing. But seeing the banner go up in the indoor, it, there's a, a huge amount of, of pride that goes into that and seeing that it's your place, that's your year amongst all the others. And I know it can get lost in a – I don't know how many conference championships throughout the years. It just seems like they're, it's, it's never ending. But um, – yeah, every single one of them is is unique and difficult, and the path meanders through all kinds of different obstacles, whether it's suspensions or injuries or uh, a pandemic. I mean, there's all kinds of different things that pop up each and every year, and last year, you kind of mixed it all together. You had a pandemic. You had a freshman quarterback. You had suspensions from some of the best players on the football teams you had injuries you had all kinds of stuff that happened throughout the year and to navigate that emerge after losing your first two conference games of the year emerge as the conference champion it's it's a huge accomplishment and those guys should be very proud whenever they hang that banner up for sure yeah and uh, to a lot of people it's just kind of a piece of vinyl with a number on it but when you were part of it and you can kind of remember all the things that went into putting that stupid banner up, it, it does mean a lot to, you know, because how many did you win? I won two. Two. You won two. So one oh, thing. God. Yeah. That, that just calm <laughs> down. It's okay. It's okay. But one uh, thing that people can't take from you is like you walk into that indoor and those numbers are up forever. Like no one can ever take it from you. And uh, even though people may not think big 12 championships mean as much now as they used to, it, it doesn't matter. They can never take it from those kids and you can never take 2010 and 2012 from me people. So ha. that's right. No, I mean, Hey, I get it with the big 12 right now. You've won it however many years in a row and maybe it starts to feel like to some people that doesn't mean as much. Well, just go in the indoor and look at how many years in a row they won the big six and the big eight. I mean, it was never ending. Thank God they don't have a banner for every one of those years because there's not enough space in all of the indoor facilities out there to, to list all those years. They got to put them on one big uh, banner in the end zone. So yeah, hey, it's everyone out there is chomping at the bit for Oklahoma every single year trying to knock them off the pedestal. So um, we have up and down years. Some years are better than others. And I thought Iowa State was a great team last year, and they're going to be even better next year. So um, they're all very meaningful. Okay, Ted, let's move on to call your shot. And this week's question was inspired by Bill Connolly. He ranked the top 60 college football quarterbacks in the 2000s. Now, we're just going to discuss the OU guys on it because actually on Thursday's episode, we'll discuss the whole list with Bill Conley himself, the, the author of the list, the guy that compiled the list. So we'll go through, we'll, we'll go through a deep dive of that thing with Bill. But 
let's look at the six OU guys Bill Conley has on his list, which first of all, just shows how ridiculous of a run OU has had at quarterback. We talked about it last episode, but it, it truly is amazing. So of the top 60 college football quarterbacks in the 2000s, OU's got six of them. Baker is number one. Kyler at number seven, Sam Bradford, number 15, Jalen Hurts, number 23, Jason White, number 30, and Landry Jones, number 36. Now, we can go through all the numbers. They all have ridiculous stats, but the question we threw out for Call Your Shot was if you had to win one game and you can only pick one OUQB since 2000 to win that game, who are you picking and why? And Teddy, in a shocking development, we got a whole lot of responses on this one. <laughs> I bet, yeah. And I, I bet they, um, they run the gamut from Baker to Kyler to Sam. Probably not going to get a whole lot of Jalen's. Probably not going to get a whole lot of Landry's in there, but uh, some very capable guys for sure. I will, I will say this. We received more Landry's than Jalen's. Yeah, well... That's that's not shocking. Um, Jalen, even though his numbers were ridiculous, I mean ridiculous, counted for like 55 touchdowns, um, I think people were happy that it was a, a one-year deal and that he was gone for whatever reason. Okay, before we look at some of the answers that people had, to, who would you take? You got to win one game. Which guy are you picking? It's such a hard question. Okay. I've got a couple of couple of questions before I answer. What Jason White do I get? If I get Jason White pre knee surgeries, that's completely different than Jason White post knee surgeries. What Jay White do I get? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna give you pre knee surgeries. I'm gonna okay, give you because, the young Jay White because um, I feel like you're gonna pick him now. Well, everyone forgets how great of an athlete Jason White was. Not good, great. He was an exceptional basketball player, uh, could have gone D1 in basketball, uh, just was, was fantastic. And that's how he originally started burning people in 2001 was with his legs coming in, running the option, uh, tucking the ball from the pocket. So that's one thing. The other thing is, what team are we talking about? Because every team is structured differently. Are we talking about, well, we're throwing to the skill guys that Baker had in 2017. Are we because everyone played with different lines and threw to different guys? Okay, this is how we'll do it. Just like whoever you want around the quarterback, you can put there. So okay, like, if, I, I could if just all star cast it around. All star cast. So like tackles, you've got Orlando Brown and Trent Williams, or Jamal Brown and Trent Williams, like whoever you'd want to take, like. We're, we're talking, you get the the all-star OU lineup around them. So everything's equal for all of them. You got to pick one guy. I feel like you're asking too many questions. You just got to go with your gut here. Go with your gut. Uh, well, okay. There's only one answer for this. There, there's only one answer. And I think that anyone that says anything other than this is is lying to themselves and letting their heart get in the way. The answer is Kyler Murray. He's the fastest. He's, he's totally calm and poised under duress. 
He's got a top-notch arm. There, there's no flaws in the game. It's Kyler. Kyler is the most talented. Mm-hmm. There is no doubt when, when you talk about arm talent, his ability to run around. Yeah. That being said, I'm going with the heart, Ted. Because if, there, if it was one game, if I needed one game for the quarterback to rally the troops and to go win a game, I'm taking Baker Mayfield. Because not only does he have great accuracy, right, and his mobility, remember, in college football was solid. It's clearly not Kyler Murray's. Mm-hmm. But the reason I would take Baker is the effect he has on the people around him. And I, I don't know how to measure that, but we were able to watch that up close. And the guys around him believed in him wholeheartedly. I mean, remember when they acted like he died when he was suspended yes. for that? Hey, I, they, carried out his, <laughs> they carried out his jersey, Ted. So I, I know that I know I, I, I literally know that Kyler Murray's more talented guy. Like I understand that and an absolute headache. But if you're talking about one game, you got to get a group of men to go win one game. I'm going, I, I'm factoring the leadership in there and I'm taking Baker Mayfield. I, I can't argue with that. And, I don't know that the separation is that much at all, but uh, Baker is by far, by far more entertaining. He's the most entertaining college football player maybe to ever play at Oklahoma. And we've had some doozies here, but I mean, had the entire fan base, teammates, coaching staff, opposing fans, everyone in the palm of his hand. It was really something to watch. But if I've got to win the football game, I'm going with the straight-up talent. But I, I, can't, I can't really argue with Baker. That, that, would be, that would be worth the watch for sure. I, I also, like, Baker not only affected the guys on offense, like he affected the guys on defense. You know, I, I just, his, effect, not only, his effect on his teammates, but also on the fans. I've, I've never seen anything like it. OU, I wish right? it would have affected the guys on defense a little bit more because I got to tell you, uh, some of the worst defense I've ever seen played was at <laughs> Texas Tech. Um, well, that is the worst. So, I, you know, you could have affected them a little bit better that day. I think at Severs Sean on Twitter sums this up perfectly for you, Ted. He says, my heart tells me Baker, my <laughs> head or my mind tells me Kyler. Yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, I could totally get it with Baker. Just the the thrill of the game would be way better with Baker than it would the be antics. With you also you get the antics. You I get want the, the antics. antics. You get the. I mean, one of the problems with Kyler is he makes the incredible seem routine. Baker sometimes makes the routine seem incredible and that is way more interesting to watch and more fun to to cover i will say this if there if 
it came down to just making one throw, I'm taking Sam Bradford. Yeah. I was able to experience that firsthand because I was still playing tight end his senior year. That was my redshirt year. His accuracy was stupid. People have forgotten about just how gifted of a passer he was because of all the injuries in the NFL. Go back and watch some of that 08 stuff. I mean, his ability to absolutely rip the football right where it needs to be, it it was incredible. I mean, I I think a lot of people have forgotten just how good of a college quarterback he was, Ted. I think I – so I was at OU during his pro day – Whenever he threw, were you? I think we. I talked to you while you were. Were you there watching? Yeah. It's the first time and only time I've ever seen a pro day with a quarterback throwing, and the entire place is like verbally out loud ooing and awing with every single throw. I mean, it was just, it was incredible. And that's against air, which I know is easier, but still, I've I've never seen a reaction like that from NFL scouts and GMs watching a guy throw the football. That pro day was awesome because remember he'd been hurt for so long and he showed up and he was like jacked and looked yeah. amazing and was just ripping it. Everyone was like all over the place. Look at great. this dude. But yeah, Bradford didn't get many. Uh, we, we didn't have many people say Bradford. We didn't have really anyone say Jalen Hurts. There is, there is recency bias though. I mean, the guys sure. that you're, you're, I mean, Landry Jones is the all time leading passer. Yeah, he's got like 16,000 passing yards. So, yeah, but the point is well taken. It's a hell of a list over – it. that is almost the group of quarterbacks that spans that tenure. So that is saying something that almost every one of your guys has made the list. Yeah, Eric, Bit, Eric Bates on Twitter at EJBBand21 says, Baker, because of the ice that runs through his veins and bravado he carries himself with to get it done. See, we're kind of on the same page there. Uh, Glenn Warshaw at G-Dub Sooner says, Baker Mayfield, he is clutch. He just knows how to win. Really knows how to get his players excited to play. Baker could convince the team to run through a brick wall. And then our, our man at Cool Your Crits. Hey, at Cool Your Crits is back. He says, Sam Bradford, his deep ball was on the money. Sad the injury bug plagued him. And then you did have an, uh, an ally in at Billy Bob's dad on Twitter, Ted, who said, <laughs> don't sleep on Jay White. Yeah. Well, I mean, one of the things is, what was, what was Baker's biggest win at Ohio State? Yeah. And I don't even know what second is. Some Maybe the Baylor game in Waco in, was that 15 when they were top five or top ten? Um, I don't know, but you know, some of those, you got to kind of look back and say who had the, who was the best in some of those big football games. And, you know, unfortunately, um, JY, the, the USC game, the LSU K state game, those are not great representations. Um, I don't know. We, we could probably spend all night going back and looking Bradford at Bradford was pretty games. decent against Florida. It was just the red zone. Yeah. They couldn't, couldn't run the ball in the end zone. I mean, yep. I guess Baker had the biggest win out of everybody at Ohio state. Maybe. Uh, yeah, but here's what's a little bit tainted about that is how horrible Texas has been during Baker and Kyler's tenure, because 
during Jay White's and Sam's tenure and a little bit of Landry's, Texas was uh, really good. Like Jason probably played Texas as a top five football game every time he played it or top 10. Yeah. So. People forget that Texas was really, really, really good. There was and a time it was a good program. I think they're headed back that way, yeah. unfortunately. I'm, I'm a Sark believer. I've told you this. I'm not proud of it, people, but uh, I think we're headed that way. Okay, Ted, let's get to our interview with Mike Stoops. Uh, it was really fun to catch up with Mike. But first, let's talk money. First Fidelity Bank is a full-service financial institution based in Oklahoma with tailored solutions for all your personal and business needs. Checking accounts, saving accounts, home loans, and much more. They do it all. Whether it's online banking from your computer or mobile banking from your phone, everything is stress-free with FFB. Making mobile deposits, paying bills online, and moving money to different accounts could not be easier. First Fidelity Bank also provides free ATMs worldwide, making banking convenient wherever you are. They also give back to the community. FFB donates a total of more than $500,000 to local charities and educational foundations. Make your life easier and go bank at First Fidelity Bank. Visit ffb.com for more information. And don't forget to go buy some rock and roll tequila. Rock and roll tequila is the ultra premium tequila that hits all the right notes. It's won all kinds of awards for its superior taste and smooth finish. To find a store that has it, visit rockandrolltequila.com or check out their Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. This stuff is fantastic. If you don't want to take our word for it, maybe you'll listen to this guy. This is Coach Bob Stoops. When you're a college football coach, it's important to have an eye for talent. The same holds true when choosing your tequila. When I tried rock and roll, I liked it so much, I decided to become a partner in this Oklahoma-owned company. Crafted in the highlands of Jalisco, Mexico, the smooth taste of rock and roll's triple distilled platinum, our Añejo, called Cristalino, and the incredible premium quality mango tequila are awesome. Our defiantly unique guitar-shaped bottles make it easy to find, and you'll love the ultra-premium quality and taste. No excuses. Make rock and roll your game day tequila. Tastefully rebellious, start the party with rock and roll. It is our pleasure to be joined by the new defensive coordinator at Florida Atlantic University. Mike Stoops is in the house. What's going on, Mike? Uh, just uh, enjoying another beautiful day here in Boca. So uh, it's been a it's been a kind of crazy month, but uh, really kind of settled in here and uh, excited to get started uh, with spring football. So we we start tomorrow and um, excited to get and get on the field and see what these guys can do. I guess it's a little bit better to get started this year than last year because of all the craziness and the protocols and spring ball canceled. That was a crazy year. I mean, it doesn't mean that this year is going to be normal, but it looks like it may be a little bit more normal than last year. Yeah, I don't think anyone um, – I, I don't know if anyone really expected to, to us to play probably, you know, looking back where we were almost a year ago today. I remember – being at Alabama and we were just leaving for spring break and we were trying to, you know, see if, you know, we'd even see our players or when the next time we'd see our players would be, because I think that's when everything, you know, that was right around middle of March and uh, you know, everything kind of went off the rails and, you know, put players stayed home for the rest of the semester. And I think we finally got them back in May or June, but uh, it was a very, uh, 
you know, a very crazy year. And, um, you know, we're, I was just grateful that we were able to play and uh, being in the Southeastern Conference and then, you know, be part of another, you know, national championship and, and being able to, um, you know, spend a, another year, uh, you know, with, with Coach Saban and uh, the rest of their staff. Mike, I, I definitely want to talk about, you know, what you're doing now and, you know, getting a new job there at FAU. But I, I'm so interested in the path you've been on since you were let go at Oklahoma there in 2018 after that Texas game, because I think you've worked extremely hard to get back to being a defensive coordinator in college football. So I, I just wanted to start here uh, going back to that experience where you were let go at OU, like obviously it was disappointing. Uh, I'm sure it was also motivating in a weird way, but how did that affect you? Well, you know, when you fall that far, it's, you'd be crazy to say it didn't affect you. I think it affects you in a lot of ways for, you know, a lot of reasons. Uh, I think you, you certainly obviously have to, you know, look inside and, and try to figure out, you know, what went wrong and, you know, what, what you could have done better, uh, put yourself in a better situation. Uh, so, you know, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forward. And I wasn't beyond that and uh, had a couple opportunities to, to go to different places and um, was talking to Coach Saban about something else. And, you know, we were talking about what I was going to do. And I said, but coach, I'd, you know, I'd much rather, you know, go with you if I could. Um, and, you know, it was just, a, you know, he's you know, just so much respect for him in so many different ways. And, and his wife, Miss Terry, and he called me back five minutes and, you know, I don't know what he, what he had to maybe check out with the athletic director and, you know, and called me back and said, you know, come on. And, and, you know, I, I did that, you know, as, probably just over two years and probably a month now or whatever it was, but, you know, probably the smartest thing I, you know, one of the greatest decisions I think I ever made uh, to go there to, to be able to just, you know, process, you know, what, what had happened, where we went wrong, uh, put to test, you know, what we were doing defensively opposed to what they were doing and what was different because I, we always, you know, I always studied Coach Saban and, and what he did defensively. And, you know, they have tremendous players. Everybody knows that. But, you know, they're, they're, they're extremely well coached. They're very fundamental, very disciplined. And, um, you know, they play the right way. And so being able to just, you know, sit there and, you know, take notes day after day after day uh, was, you know, was, you know, I, I always felt like I was going to get, I was getting better and smarter and wiser and, you know, things that, you know, we could have done better where we made mistakes, uh, where I made mistakes, where I could have, you know, helped myself. So you're just kind of processing that and, and seeing how he does it and how methodically it's, it's done, how he um, uses, you know, time during the day, you know, how he schedules things, why he schedules things this way. And, and I really learned a great deal my first year and um, because it's, it's a very complicated and it's a very sophisticated, you know, defense, but, you know, it just takes time and understanding and, 
and understanding terminology. And so, you know, really, you know, learned a lot. You know, Pete Golding, the defensive coordinator, is a, you know, really good friend. And I had a lot of other friends, Charles. So I knew coaches on the staff. So they, you know, made me very, they were very welcoming to me. And, um, you know, so it, it made it very comfortable. Um, and, you know, sometimes they look at you from afar better than people look at you close up. And uh, so they were, you know, so you go in there with some, you know, with some, um, I don't want to say, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? You go in with some collateral or you, you know, you've been at the top. They know you've coached at a very high level and have won, you know, many, many championships and have been in, you know, a lot of big games. So, you know, so that it, it was, it was, it was fun. And uh, I enjoyed, you know, the process, but the second year, the, the learning just accelerates and you pick up on it even more and more. So the first two years being with a guy, uh, in a staff like that was, you know, very uh, rewarding and uh, I think very beneficial for me. And it, and it's it's never you're never you know too late to to learn. And in football, you're learning all the time. Football changes, schemes change, offenses change, and um, so it, it it really gave me a lot more confidence because I didn't I didn't have a great deal of confidence when I left. Uh, uh, Oklahoma and, uh, they, you know, he does a great job of, you know, if you, if you go in there with the right attitude, you're going to come out of there a much better person and a much better coach. How was it? You're one of the most competitive people I've ever seen in my life. And it doesn't really matter what it is. Ultra competitive. You love the, the, the intensity, you love being in the fire and you've been in the fire for a long time, uh, D.C. at Kansas State, then to Oklahoma, straight into being a head coach, then right back to being a defensive coordinator. Was it hard to step back away from the field and away from the kind of the day in, day out grind with the players and everything? Was it was it good to step back or, you know, was it hard to step away from that and have a little more? Um, off the field type of role. That was uh, that was the hardest part. There's no question about that, Teddy. Uh, just being, you know, in front and and having to do it. But I don't know. The last year or so, it, you know, it, it just you, you got being at Oklahoma. I just got gutted in a lot of ways. So it was good for me to kind of step back and um, you know, kind of you know, regroup. Get the hunger again. Uh, but I but. Yeah, and, and and just learn, you know, know when you go back in it to, to, that you could be better and you could be different, and that's probably where I think the time off there helps you. But yeah, it was definitely hard uh, not to to be a you know coach of any particular group and and just be in a support role. But you know that's you know that was okay. I wasn't uh, that wasn't beyond me to do something like that, and that. You know, I think that shows humility and, you know, you, you, improvement and um, that's okay. So, I, you know, I think I came out of it a much better, you know, person and, and a better coach. It's, you know, it was a big sacrifice, but I think in the long run, I think it'll pay, pay huge dividends, uh, you know, for, for me personally. Mike, I think a lot of people – see the term analyst and especially a guy that's been where you've been as a football coach at the level you've been there, like 
we just wonder what you were doing on a day-to-day basis. People want to joke about, you know, that it's the coaching rehab facility that Nick Saban's running there at Alabama, but he's got a bunch of smart football minds there. So I'm just curious, like on a, on a day-to-day basis, what was your role within that Alabama program? Well, he's, you know, Coach Saban is very smart in, in what he does and everything he does. Uh, there's a reason for it. And uh, from, you know, the, from the minute he wakes up in the morning till the, the minute he goes, you know, to bed, there's, there's a reason for, you know, each second in the day. But, and, and even, you know, the, the coaches he wants there, I mean, he, um, you know, he didn't have to take me in or, you know, whatever, but, you know, he, he was a friend for a long time. And, um, so I was fortunate enough to, to, to be with them and to, to be able to experience this. But as, as an analyst, um, you do a lot of different things. I mean, you know, I would, you know, break down games just like I was the, um, defensive coordinator and, you know, Pete Golding became a very close friend of mine. And, you know, as you see this, I see this, I mean, so you, I wanted to still go into it like I was a defensive coordinator. So I would th- think and, and try to use their scheme uh, opposed to what we did in, in certain, you know, some of it's similar, some of it isn't. So you, you go into it with that frame of mind because you're going to go into a meeting too with him Sunday, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night, and you're going to, you know, you're going to be asked to, you know, what, you know, how do you see, you know, what, what do you guys seen he he obviously sees everything um he's very he's a he's a he's a brilliant mind uh his ability to see everything is you know is 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 really um unbelievable so but you you want to go in there prepared and you want to if there's something you want to say i mean then you you go in and say it so uh it's very um you know it's very open but He's he's running the meeting. Let's get you know. Let's get that straight. And uh, you know, you just want to be able to contribute. It's funny as a, as an analyst, I felt like I was under not pressure, but I wanted to be prepared every day. And that's what he does. He brings out the best of everybody every single day. And that's that's what a great coach does. And whether you're a player or an analyst, everybody has a role. Everybody does it. And you do your role. And mine was whether it was contributing some way there or short. Mine was short yardage and goal line. You know, everybody has a little, you know, part of it to, you know, specialize and and and, and do certain things to get your team prepared. So, um, you know, it, that's that's kind of what you do. You you go about it just like you're a, a normal coach. There ain't anything different. You just can't coach players, um, you know, at any any time during you know when you're when you're an analyst uh so uh that's the um you know that's the the trade-off but for me i wanted to get it all because you know i like like i told you guys if i'm going to spend the time there i'm going to try to get everything i can uh philosophically um you know practice schedules uh you know motivation uh, everything. And that's, you know, what I was able to do. I, I, I think I have 20 some notebooks that I filled, uh, with notes, you know, diagrams, plays just so I could keep my mind, 
you know, in a, in the right, in the right place from a football perspective. I mean, I know you, you like to golf, um, you know, you can, you could step away and, and enjoy yourself doing some other things, you know, away from the, the facility or away from the, the game of football for a little bit, do, but does Saban ever turn the psycho football coach off or is it 24, seven, 365? That's all he, he can think about and process. Can he relax and let his guard down at all? He does, uh, you know, definitely uh, coach says he loves the boat, um, but he loves the golf too. He's, he's probably played more golf in the last few years than, you know, probably I would say he ever has. He, you know, he had his, his hip fixed a couple of years ago, but um, ever since that, he, he, he loves to play. He's very competitive on the golf course. So he, yeah, he gets away from it. And um, when he's away, he's away. But when he's at work, it's, you know, it's all business. And, and it, it, you know, he runs it, you know, it's, it's a lot like a professional organization. Everybody has a job to do everybody's job is defined and you go in there and you do it, you know, every day. And, uh, you know, it's a beautiful thing to watch. And, and it was, it was great to be a part of, I was, you know, I was, you know, very thankful to be, you know, let in and, and to see how it all, you know, goes. And it's, uh, there's a lot to learn. And, um, you know, he, he has really, you know, mastered the, the art of efficiency and time and all of that, it's just, uh, you know, everything runs like clockwork. His installation, Teddy and, and Gabe, you know, what he, you know, how he installs thing and why he installs it this way is, you know, it really, you know, everything makes a lot of sense. Uh, so, you know, really, really fun um, and very enlightening and, and uh, you know, probably, like I said earlier, you know, probably, you know, one of the smartest things I could have done. I wish I would have done it 20 years ago, but uh, never too late. Mike, you, you mentioned the, you know, the scheme and being able to understand what they were doing from a schematic standpoint. Uh, I'm sure the evaluation of players was also something that you took a lot of notes on, but you've talked a lot about the way that you interacted with players um, your last couple of years there at Oklahoma, did you, did you learn anything that you think that you'll change about the way you approach players from your time at Alabama? Like you're never going to be able to turn that intensity completely off. Right. But do you feel like you learned some things when it comes to interacting with your guys that can be helpful for you? Definitely. I, I think, um, you know, coaches, there's probably nobody more competitive than him. And, and that shows sometimes, but, you know, he doesn't, you know, he, he doesn't get to that point unless it's something that's really, really bothered him. So, um, you know, just learning how to be more patient, I, I think is, is key and, and being able to be able to, you know, be, be in control and not um, let your, emo you know, it's like he always says, you can have emotion, but don't be emotional. And, uh, if you get emotional, then you lose, you know, control. And that's, that's when, you know, things don't go, you know, the way you want them to do. So, you know, there's always things that I think you can improve, uh, self-improvement as well. And, uh, and, I, and that's something I picked up on, you know, some, some of those things with, with other coaches there and, um, you know, how patient some of these guys are 
and it's a very complicated scheme and it just, you know, takes time and repetitions and, um, you know, they'll, they'll get it eventually. And, um, you know, there's, you know, there's, you know, the pressure there at the end, I I think, you know, gets, you know, gets to everybody and, uh, probably like, you know, get, got to me probably way, you know, way too much. And, you know, and that's something that you, you got to learn from and, and trust what you know and, and have confidence in what you know and, um, you know, do the best you can and, and be happy with that. I think that's, you know, I think it's a lesson for everybody. And, um, but unfortunately everybody gets blamed for, you know, this or that. And it's, um, you know, that's, it's hard not to take that personal at times. Uh, and that's something I, I think, you know, for me personally, it's something I have, you know, had to deal with in, in, for whatever reason. And, uh, you know, I feel much better, you know, about starting over and, um, feel better about the place I'm at and around the people I'm around too. I got a great group of guys and great group of coaches. So, you know, I'm just excited to, to be able to apply what, you know, if that makes sense, Gabe, you know, what you, what you learned, uh, you know, over two years, uh, it's the application that makes you who you are, you know what I mean? And, and what you are and what you can get your players to understand and believe in and trust in. And those are the things I'm going to have to get through to, to our players. And, you know, it's not what's in those notebooks. It's how you apply it, how you teach it, how you coach it and, and how confident your players are in it. And that's, you know, that's, that's always the task as a, as a coach. So take us through the the route to get there to, to Florida Atlantic. Um, you guys win the national championship. And then, um, you know, a little bit before that Sarkeesian uh, is offered the Texas job, he takes it. Um, and then it looked like you were going to go to, to Texas as a position coach for whatever reason that ended up not happening. And a couple of days goes by and you end up there at Florida Atlantic kind of take us through that journey and, and uh, what all that was like at the end of the last season to where you are now? Well, that, that, you know, that was a difficult, you know, week or so. I mean, you know, you're, you're always anxious and no matter what anybody says, you're not anywhere until you sign it on the dotted line. So, um, you know, that was, you know, that, you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of speculation there. There was just some other, you know, what was the most, um, the hardest part of the whole deal is that there were some other opportunities and there were some opportunities a year ago that I just didn't, um, you know, it just wasn't the right timing for me that I felt I could improve myself staying another year, you know, at Alabama. So, you know, I decided not to take a couple jobs a year ago and didn't really, you know, try hard. I, I, I wanted to, to really, you know, master and, and know what this defense is all about inside and out. And, um, so, you know, I ended up passing on some of those jobs and then, you know, there's, you know, that opportunity, you know, was, was, uh, was, I, I hoped was there, but it wasn't. And, um, you know, you just kind of move on and, you know, I, I turned down some other jobs and was hoping that would came through and it, it didn't. And then, uh, you know, Charlie Strong, of all people, one of, you know, guys shared an office with for, for a year. Yeah, I had known Willie Taggart, uh, Coach Taggart for, you know, uh, oh, I guess three or f- maybe three years or so. Uh, 
you know, I had talked to him about the Florida State defensive coordinator job three years ago. Um, so, you know, and then, you know, uh, Charlie uh, told me, you know, that, you know, he talked to Willie and was interested. And I said, I'd, you know, I'd, I'd love to work for him. You know, we had talked, you know, I told him the situation that happened, you know, with, I guess it's a year that I don't know what, maybe 17 or something like that. Um, when he took Florida state. Uh, so, uh, you know, me and coach, uh, started talking and, you know, I ended up here and, and really, uh, have been, you know, blessed to, you know, to be here and to, to work with a great group. Uh, I've been really impressed with the, the players, uh, their intelligence, their um, their desire to learn, uh, to be coached. Uh, it's been, you know, a really amazing group of players. Uh, what I've seen and through workouts over the last, I guess, three or four weeks. What I guess I've been here probably a month now. So it, it's been uh, it's it's really been a blessing. I, I think uh, you know things happen for a reason. Uh, uh, Teddy and you know, I think for whatever reason, you know, this is where I was supposed to be. And I'm, you know, I'm, you, you really never look back. I'm, I'm excited about, you know, being able to apply everything and see, you know, for the most part, what, what I've learned. And like I said, the application of it is going to get put to the test right off the bat against uh, Florida here in about six months. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. <laughs> Now, uh, that was a joke. You, you didn't know whether to laugh or not. No, I do. They're going to have a talented group. There, there's no doubt, Mike. But I will say this about the whole Texas situation, man. You would have looked weird in burnt orange anyway. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you ended up yeah. there in Boca. Now, I, I, I am curious. I, I've because... probably been. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, I, that's it's nothing. I. I'm I'm just so interested in because you said you guys start spring ball tomorrow, so what's the philosophy look like defensively? Because obviously you're not going to abandon everything you've done in the past and just implement what you've learned over the last two years. I assume it's kind of a hybrid of what you really have believed in in the past and then some of the things you've learned recently, right? Yeah, you're, it's interesting you say that. I look at you know a lot of things we did at at Oklahoma, you know, coach, you know, it's uh, coach Saban in Alabama. They, they have everything. They've done everything. I mean, he's, he's taught and coached, but you know, there's basic principles. He, you know, that the defense, you know, has to, you know, has to abide by to be successful. And, you know, those are, you know, obviously, you know, being able to, to play hard and, and understand your responsibility and, and tackle well and, you know, create turnovers, you know, all the, all the things. But those are, you know, those are critical factors to playing, you know, really well on defense. And, and um, you know, that's something that, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to trying to instill all those things in, in our players. But, you know, schemes are schemes, but, uh, you know, getting there, there are no perfect calls. I used to tell Teddy that all the time. It's the players that play them and the way they play them, make them perfect calls. And and that's really the truth behind the story of it all. If they're playing the right way and they're playing with their hair on fire and they're, 
you know, executing at the level, doing their job, everything is going to, you know, everything kind of falls into place. And, uh, you know, the calls seem to be all right. They're always good when you're playing at a certain um, level. But if you're not playing at that level, nothing seems to, you can't call anything right. Uh, So, you know, those are, you know, those are important. Like I said, those are factors and fundamentals defensively that, you know, we're going to try to build build on starting tomorrow. Should be a lot of talent. I mean, you're in a good spot. Florida is just packed full of football players and, and athletes. So um, that's, pro- that's going to be one of the critical parts, obviously, is getting good players in there. And you think that's going to be something you guys are, are going to have success at, being right there kind of in the heart of Florida, being able to, to kind of recruit all over the state? I think so. I think, and then, you know, the transport portal is going to be something yeah. that's going to be, you know, really important. Uh, you know, I, I've only been here a month. I, I'm, you know, got our defensive players down. Now I'm going to start starting tomorrow, work on our offensive players. So, um, you know, it's, you know, there's some talented players, but you know, there's certain, you know, there's certain areas that you, you always want to improve on. And, uh, um, you know, we'll, we'll know a little bit more about, uh, I will a- anyway, about, you know, what kind of players we have. Uh, but you know, you're always looking for bigger, stronger, faster guys. And, and, uh, sometimes it's, you know, it's easier to get some guys that have played at this level, but I, I think there's a fine line. You still want to be able to develop players within your program. And, and that's something that, you know, I, I think in a place like Florida Atlantic, you really have to to be measured in your approach that way. And um, it's something I'm really interested in and and get a better feel of our players and, and where they're at and uh, you know, what other teams have in this league too. I don't have a great feel, um, you know, being, you know, being here yet uh, what the, what the competition's like and, and really what your players are capable at. You know, like I said, I've never seen them practice tomorrow will be the first time that I will have an opportunity to see him practice in practice. I mean, I running around in, in gym shorts is one thing, but being able to execute a call and a technique and, and be able to get lined up, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how the kids uh, handle all those things. Mike, Teddy firmly believes that RPOs are tools of Satan. <laughs> and I, I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm just so interested because you, the offense at Bama had so many built in and they were so effective for the two years you were there. So, I mean, is there a way to stop these schemes or is it just something where you try to t- contain them as much as possible? Like well, what's the approach? Because I'm sure you guys saw them every single day there in practice in Tuscaloosa. We can start by getting the officials to call uh, oh, a man go. downfield. That's, that'd be a good way to oh, start okay. and stopping them. <laughs> I, I've said, Dusty, I said that, I said that what, 10, 10 years ago and everyone laughed at me, you know what I mean? It, it's just insane. And, uh, to have linemen down, how are guys supposed to read run or pass when the linemen's down there three yards or four yards and they say, that's okay. That's absurd yeah, Gabe, to me. Tell us how we're uh, supposed to do that on defense. When you're you guys not, are, you're, you're supposed, can, to, you're supposed to get picked apart and like it. <laughs> So I know it's like, you know, it's, this is like video football now. Um, and then they can block guys behind the line of scrimmage. You know, you can block a guy downfield if you throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage. 
You know how many plays we've seen like that that are uh, make no sense? I mean, it's just really – it's disturbing for a, a guy that, you know, has coached defense their whole life. Um, but they're very difficult to stop. You have to mix in some some trap coverage, you know, cut the – you know, you know, send the star, let them think they have something and change the look on them. So there's, you know, there's ways you got to just uh, keep the quarterback thinking, making sure he doesn't feel like he always has that safe and easy throw. Uh, but, you know, two years ago, I, I would say with Tua, uh, we probably used the RPOs probably a little more than we did. Uh, I thought Mac Jones did a great job off the play action game uh, this past year, getting, you know, getting big, big shot plays, um, you know, down the field. So um, we, you know, when you can run the football too effectively, I, I think that, you know, you're, you're pushing more guys towards the line of scrimmage and that, you know, usually you got a, a heavy box in there and they're going to, you know, that's when they're going to throw them. So um, they're, they're very difficult. Uh, they put your guys in, you know, kind of a little bit of a disadvantage, but, uh, your your guys up front, if they can, you know, stop the run with one less guy, and and be able to, you know, have a, an extra guy back there in coverage, you know, certainly helps as well. And at Alabama, that was, you know, a part of our our defense always was was to try to, you know, not overcommit so many guys to the run where you could still give yourself a chance to stop the RPOs. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, it's 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 a brutal deal. Which I, you know, I always say that. Um, offenses always just find a way to cheat the defense and you know it's that's just how they build on it but um, what do you I think this is an interesting deal that I've, I've talked with some people lately do you think that college football players are more prepared coming into college right now than they've ever been it feels like with with some of the seven on seven camps and stuff like that that they're already on a, a higher level than they have been in the past well it- being at being at um, being at Alabama, you know, the last two years, uh, I think there's a yeah, I think those things have helped uh, Teddy. But I, I also think uh, I want to say we got 13 or 15 of our 25 guys in at midterm, and to go through spring ball, I think is the most critical element of development uh, because you don't know what you don't know until you get on the field. If that makes sense, I mean, you don't know you think you're this, you think you're the size and, and speed and the strength until you get on the field and have to match it. I, I, I don't think kids really understand that. And that helps them prepare when they come back in the fall to be able to go through the whole spring, you know, see the, understand the defense, you know, cause there's so much learning that goes along with it. And it's hard to play the way you want to play. Cause you're always thinking, I, I think those things and, and then understanding the size, speed, uh, and, and the intensity that you have to play and compete at, I think those are all things kids learn early on in their career. If they're smart, they'll you know that, man, that, you know, this is a lot different. This is, this is not like high school. Uh, there, it really isn't when you get on the field. Uh, you have to forget a lot and, and rethink and redevelop, uh, you know, how you play and your techniques. You're not going to get away with just being big. you got to be you know, as you know, up front and Gabe knows, you know, how technical you have to be in the game. Um, So, you know, that's a big part of it. And learning, you know, you just can't overpower a player uh, in these leagues. I mean, you have to learn how to, you know, use your feet, use leverage, use your hands, 
you know, all those things. And, um, you know, I think kids, you know, so, you know, that part of, I'm looking at it as, you know, from the, you know, the big positions, I, I think definitely the skill positions are, you know, the receivers probably have the biggest, you know, uh, you know, opportunity, but people don't realize the receivers, how complicated the schemes are when they get into college too. the movements, the, you know, the, the X is on here, the Z is on here. You're going to motion in here and create a stack here. You know, there's just a lot there. And that's where sometimes uh, players will get overwhelmed just by the totality of, of, you know, an offense. But um, so there's there's just so much learning. But I think kids physically, uh, I think, are better, uh, probably more equipped. But but mentally, it's still a huge challenge for, for players. And then, you know, like we were talking about earlier, I'm probably babbling, but you know, the technique from a, a big, you know, a big athletic position, uh, you know, whether it's, uh, I would say defensive line, a big, big athletic offense line doesn't sound great, but you know, I guess there are some. That was another joke. If you guys didn't, you could, we, we got that one. Kidding. Mike, we're, okay. we're fired up for you, man. We're fired up for your new okay. opportunity. Um, we, we're going to be rooting for FAU hard, man. So you Every got defensive new... coordinator's dream, coach. You got uh, Air Force. Here we go. Uh, oh, don't. Hey, <laughs> hey. Hopefully they won't have the ball 45 or 46 or whatever minutes they had it against Army. But uh, if we could still win the game, that, that'd be the biggest, uh, you know, that'd be the biggest thing. So, yeah, I'm going to have to – I don't know if I'm going to break out that Army tape or not. Probably not. I don't think we're going to go a different direction. <laughs> well, congrats, Mike. Uh, and we, we really appreciate the time, man. This was fun. Appreciate you guys for having me. Thanks, Coach. Man, I'm I'm just excited for Mike. I know that last couple of years, probably a little rough, but sounds like sounds like he's re-energized, Ted. No, there's no doubt about it. Selfishly, I'm very glad that he did not end up at Texas. Um, you know, he's down there at Florida Atlantic. That there's some some good things that you can do there. They're in a good spot recruiting wise. He mentioned the transfer portal. I bet they're going to be a big player and trying to get some guys from other schools. So like you know, like we said, a couple of good years there at Florida Atlantic. Who knows what he could open himself up to? Yeah, and I assume that Willie Taggart has quite the chip on his shoulder yeah. after what happened at Florida State. Mike undoubtedly quite the chip on his shoulder. So maybe that staff will be uh, invigorated. Hungry. It'll be, be interesting to see. Okay, let's move on to our segments. But first, do you own a business? If you do, you need Insurica in your life. Insurica is one of the country's largest insurance brokers with 30 offices throughout Oklahoma, Texas, and the Southwest. Insurica is able to customize programs by accessing the latest information from many insurance carriers. They compare and contrast coverage offerings and pricing in order to design a cost-effective, comprehensive program to meet your business's specific needs. Insurica's clients become best-in-class businesses by working with Insurica's team of advisors to manage risk. Purchasing insurance is only one way to protect your business. Best-in-class businesses win by avoiding a loss in the first place. If your business partners with Insurica, you'll save huge amounts of money and take back control of your total cost of risk. I'm an Insurica client, and you should be too. 
If your business wants to be best in class, connect with Insurica at insurica.com. That's I-N-S-U-R-I-C-A.com. Tell them we sent you. And also connect with our friends at Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs. They'll help you execute a realistic and achievable weight loss plan designed for you and only you. They've got all kinds of treatments for men and women. They're licensed and trained experts combine diet and exercise with hormone therapies to maximize your results. If you're struggling with low libido or low energy, Advanced Weight Loss Clinic of Sand Springs can help with that too. They also offer Botox and fillers. To get on the path to losing weight, call 918-241-LOSE or visit their Facebook page. If you mention the podcast, you will get a free fat burner injection. Nice. All right, Ted, let's go straight to football guys talking basketball. Little FGTB, an absolute bedlam classic in Norman on Saturday. Now, unfortunately, uh, the good guys did not come home or did not stay home, stay home with the win. Oklahoma State wins on the road 94-90 over Oklahoma in overtime. And it was one of my favorite college basketball games to watch of the season, maybe my favorite. And not just because it was OU-OSU, not just because it was a great game, but the style was so aesthetically pleasing. Too often we watch college basketball. There's a million fouls called. The offense is disjointed. Teams are playing zone defense. It's just boring and painful to watch. But this game, it was free-flowing offense for both sides. Oklahoma State hardly played any of that 2-3 zone that they've played a lot this season because OU executed so well offensively against it that they were like, you know what? We're not jumping in it. There's no point. So it was man-to-man defense for both teams. It flowed like an NBA game, and there's only one place to start, and that's Cade Cunningham. What a performance by that young man. One of the best performances in the history of Bedlam basketball. Scored the 10 in overtime, ends up with 40, and did it against some really solid defense from Elijah Harkless, uh, also had the 11 rebounds, had some big defensive plays, especially late. Ted, Cade Cunningham was absolutely fantastic. No, he was. Um, he did a really good job of creating shots. He had some big league shots now. Some of those uh, step back, creating a little bit of space between he and the defender was really nice. He got to the rim. He got some second chance points. Um, you know, he can handle the ball really well. And whenever the defense really caved in on him, he did a good job of finding some open guys who hit some big time shots for him. So, I mean, he was the difference in the basketball game and, you know, clearly going into it, you know, that if you're going to beat Oklahoma state, if you can limit Kate Cunningham, I mean, he's going to get his, um, he's, if not the leading scorer in the big 12, he's, he's right there knocking on the door. He's the leader. Yeah. Um, you know, so he, he's going to get his, but if you can keep him from going off and scoring 40, you got a lot better chance, uh, you know, whenever you put it on some of the other guys, but like I mentioned, some of the other guys did hit some, uh, some big time shots for him. I mean, cause here's the thing, whenever you look at the, the box score, they scored 94 points and they got seven points off the bench. Oklahoma state did. So it was a Cade Cunningham show. Uh, through and through. So um, 
credit the guy. I mean, that's why they were desperate to get him there. That's why it created as much buzz as it did whenever he went there. He's he's as advertised, man. Yeah, you mentioned that they had other guys hit big shots. I thought Avery Anderson the third hit some big shots for them in that game. But I thought the young son hero for Oklahoma State was Bryce Williams. Those threes he hit in the second half were huge for the Cowboys, especially for the momentum in that game. I mean, uh, I thought that those were maybe the biggest shots of the game until we got to overtime. I, I thought him stepping up in that second half for them was massive. But looking at how some of the OU guys played, I I did think that OU played well in the first half. I, I thought Davion Harmon did some really good things. I thought he was really efficient. Uh, he took advantage of Isaac Likely not playing in that game. Ends up with 23 points. Uh, I thought that was one of his better games of the year. I, I guess the question is, did Austin Reeves play well? Because uh, he, he put up numbers. You look at it. He's got 22 and 8 assists. You know, that's that's a solid day. But he made some really bad decisions in overtime, didn't give up the ball probably when he should, got really frustrated, had, even had a frustrate the good old frustration foul in overtime on Cade Cunningham. I I think he just, he, he let his emotions get the best of him a little bit and didn't make the best decisions in that OT. No, I agree. Um, but he did what he always does is generates offense. You know, I, I mean, it's, it's maybe not always the the best way to go about it. There'll be possessions where he dribbles the ball for about 15 seconds on his own and then finally drives to the lane and shoots a wild layup and either, you know, gets the foul call or, you know, we're in trouble and we're out going the other way. Um, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that that's, we really don't have a, a great way to generate offense other than that. So it can be frustrating at times, but, you know, he, he gets to the foul line. We don't have anyone else on our team that gets to the foul line and gets, you know, some of the, the charity stripe numbers that he does. He was he shot nine free throws. Next highest on the team was three with, with Gibson. You know, whenever he, he hit the three foul shots, whenever he was fouled. There yeah, Gibson, so, Gibson hit some big shots. He did. I thought, yeah. I thought he, and he seems to have made that a common occurrence in OU games. Like, if he is yeah. open – He's going to make people pay. The guy can absolutely shoot the lights out from three. Well, they've been great. Whenever he's 50% from three, they've been really good, and he hit that number. So usually that's been a, a big big piece of their success is when he, he's 50%, they win the basketball game. But this one, um, we weren't able to. You know, the real thing in this game was – the, the massive re rebounding discrepancy between the two teams. Uh, we got pushed around inside, and uh, they absolutely owned the glass. Yeah, I, I thought that that was, that was rough, especially all those offensive rebounds for Oklahoma State to give them extra possessions, extra shots, and when Cade Cunningham was In critical like moments. That. Yeah, oh, yeah. So a tough loss for Oklahoma, uh, I will say once again, but an absolute delight of a game to watch. I know they lost, fun. but it was high scoring. It was free flowing. It felt, I, I know there wasn't a ton of NBA players on the court, maybe just one, if we're being honest <laughs> with Kate Cunningham, 
but it did flow like an NBA game, and I enjoyed it immensely. And we'll run it back Monday night, eight o'clock. Let's do it again. Hopefully, it's, it's similar, Ted. I would love a I would love a replay of that, but this time with the Sooners winning. Right. Yeah. The dreaded sweep. Um, it hasn't happened a whole lot over the last I don't know however many years, twenty years or so. Rarely has Oklahoma State sweeped us, and rarely have they beat us in our place. So uh, we've got to avoid that. I don't know who the quick turnaround favors. Uh, you may just have to say it favors Oklahoma State since we're going to their place, and they just won the last game. So uh, I don't know. It would be nice to turn that around because there's some big implications down the stretch. Uh, you know, we don't want to lose out. You know, to close out the season. So it's going to be a fun one. Big Monday, baby. Let's go. I would assume Kate Cunningham's not going to score 40 again. So uh, I'm going to go with the quick turnaround benefits Oklahoma. Am I only that makes no sense, but whatever. The score proves that if you can hold him to around 36, then you you have a good chance of maybe winning the basketball game. I don't know. I I I think it probably favors Oklahoma State considering they're going to have the best player on the floor again and it's going to be in their house. Yeah. No, I agree. But I just don't really know. Uh, this is this is what I'll say. I don't really know what adjustments Oklahoma can make, right? I mean, if he's going to hit some of the shots, like you just say, oh, okay, I guess you can run two guys at him and force him to give up the ball. But then you're going to give up some easy baskets doing that. I I don't know. So we'll see. But I'm excited to watch it again. I know that. Yeah. Well, and, and you brought the point up. I think one of the, the critical things is Cade Cunningham got his, but whenever he kicked it to open guys, they hit some big-time shots. So if those role players maybe don't hit as many of those, that could benefit Oklahoma. So I don't know. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, okay, one thing we have to talk about for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now they got destroyed by the Nuggets Saturday night, which is all good right? Losses, not the worst thing in the world, but Friday night, they were the talk of the sports world momentarily, Ted, because, and and it was because they got the win over the Hawks, but there was an absolutely hilarious Jersey fiasco. Everyone that was watching knew something was wrong when the Thunder were wearing their sunset, whatever they want to call it. It's orange. And the Hawks were wearing a very vibrant red and they they were they they didn't contrast at all there was no contrast at all we all complained about it but we also we had all accepted it and been like well this game's just gonna be miserable to watch but then it actually comes out that the hawks brock brought the wrong jerseys and it was so damn funny when the thunder came out in white jerseys in the second half i could not stop laughing and i will say this the white with the Hawks red, it was a beautiful Jersey matchup from that point on. It was a nice contrast. It was, it was very easy on the eyes after our eyes were bleeding for that entire first half. Well, a couple of things. Number one, as bad as it was, it still is not anywhere as bad as Kansas state's uh, jerseys were the other night, whenever we played them up in Manhattan, that was God awful. Uh, I hope I never have to see that again. The other thing is, I feel bad for that poor equipment guy because you know it was on him for packing the wrong jerseys. And as soon as they took the court, 
his heart had to sink and think, oh my God, I what have I done? Royally. So, nah, that was pretty funny. Um, yeah, color rush in the NBA. Here we go. Let's get it, right? You feel bad for Atlanta's equipment guy. I, get, I feel bad for the Thunder's equipment guys. They had to wash two jerseys that night. Fair point. Fair Actually, point. they probably left someone inside at halftime like, hey, just start the load on the sunsets. <laughs> but, <laughs> hey, don't forget, equipment guys, they are, they are extremely important. Okay, Ted, let's move on to our winners and losers of the weekend. But first, Riverwind. Riverwind is Oklahoma City's premier casino experience. There are temperature screenings at all entrances and masks are required for all patrons and employees because your safety is Riverwind's number one priority. There are so many reasons why Riverwind is consistently voted OKC's number one casino, but it all starts with their amazing variety of gaming thrills and excitement. Riverwind's beautiful award-winning environment plays host to more than 2,800 of the latest electronic games with a huge selection of table games, including blackjack, blackjack match, roulette, and craps. Teddy, you played any craps at Riverwind lately? Yes, I have actually, Gabriel. Really? That's right. I love to throw the dice every now and then. You know that. How'd it go? It went okay for one of us, not me. <laughs> All right. Okay. <laughs> but well, you no know matter... what? I had a heck of a time. Well, there you go. No matter what your game, Riverwind has it in spades and hearts. If you need help finding your way, just visit riverwind.com, Riverwind Casino, simply the one. And Teddy, don't forget to send your kids to Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School. You other people too. Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School has a long tradition of educational excellence. They know that children need to be in school and are doing everything possible to make that happen. Bishop McGinnis students were welcomed back last August and saw very few interruptions in 2020. With a 12 to 1 student to teacher ratio, no student is overlooked. Bishop McGinnis's college prep curriculum offers 22 AP courses. If you want to provide the best possible educational and spiritual development for your children, contact Bishop McGinnis Catholic High School or visit bmchs.org. Financial aid is available. Okay, Ted, let's start it. You started off. Who do you have as your winner of the weekend? I'm going to have to go with J.J. Watt. Um, I know Ooh. I've been hitting a lot of these recently, but I'm just loving NFL free agency right now. Here you've got a guy that at one time was the premier defensive player in the league, isn't anymore, and honestly, I don't even know where he is on the list, but there's a couple of favorites that have emerged. The Green Bay Packers are the betting favorite out of Las Vegas, plus 175. The Cleveland Browns are on the list, Uh, Bills, Titans, even the Steelers are on the list where um, obviously his brother TJ Watt plays, but J.J. Watt this is like a curtain call moment for him. Uh, I think he's past his prime, still an effective player, but he's getting a whole bunch of fanfare. He's getting courted by all these teams in the NFL. He's probably going to make between 15 and $18 million a year, uh, depending on the contract that he signs. And he gets to pick to go to a place that's going to be an instant winner, like a Green Bay or, or a Buffalo one of those places. I know Green Bay seems like the natural kind of fit, uh, played at Wisconsin. Where do you think he's going to end up? Would you rather go to a place like Green Bay where you think you've got a really good shot or Steelers to play with your brother? He played at Wisconsin. He's also from Wisconsin, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yep. So you, you have to factor that in. 
man, I think you, you, you got a better chance to win in green Bay, right. With, yeah. Yeah, with Aaron Rodgers. Now I know maybe big Ben's healthy next year. He's, but I feel like you got a way better chance, especially with how competitive yeah. the AFC North is. I feel yeah. like you got I, a way better chance to win in green Bay than in Pittsburgh. Maybe I'm crazy. I agree. And it depends what some of the numbers look like contract wise, which I would say to JJ Watt, a guy that's made a ton of money in his life right now, you can probably make up the difference in contract with what you would benefit wise, uh, likeness wise, if you were to win a Super Bowl. So let's say the. I mean, he's made, he's also he's also made an unbelievable right. amount of money, like not just from his contracts, but his endorsements. I mean, sure. he he's made a ton in endorsements. And as a as a player of his stature, what's left is checking the boxes of doing big things in the postseason. So winning a Super Bowl for him would would be massive. And that's why I think he ends up in Green Bay. But obviously, I don't know. I don't have any inside information. I don't know who he's met with or talked with. Uh, but I feel like he's going to go to Green Bay. It will take some time because I've never really seen him in another uh, jersey other than the the Texans jersey. It'd be weird to see him in Green Bay jersey, but I think it'd be a good fit. Obviously, they need uh, more premier defensive players. Yeah, and I'll, I'll say this about J.J. Watt. Uh, at one point, he was an absolute terror, and he still has some of those moments, right? But he has become so much more likable over the last couple of years that I think I'm even at a point where I'm I'm rooting for J.J. Watt to land somewhere and make a deep playoff run because it would just be fun to see. It's fun when the guys that were truly great get those opportunities. So I'm kind of rooting for J.J. Watt. What's wrong with me, Ted? What's yeah, happening? I don't know. Uh, I don't know that I am yet. Um, I can only watch a guy go backdoor on, on some Stay plays. Stay in your gap, J.J. So many times. And I think, and I don't know how you felt, but the hard knocks with the Texans, I felt like he was – that was that was a the peak. performer more than a football player. Like it was all about showing off for the cameras and trying to be that guy every single day. It was it was pretty pretty brutal to watch. Yeah, uh, you're not the only one. Literally, no one enjoyed watching him <laughs> act that way. I don't even think he enjoyed act. I, I've actually heard him talk about it a little bit. It's pretty funny to hear him talk about it. But yeah, it's it's gotten a lot better since then. I, I'm I'm confident in saying that. Okay, Ted, who is your loser of the weekend? Unfortunately, I've got to go with Sooners, and it's about the bracketology. Now, going into the weekend, whenever you look at Lenardi's bracketology, and obviously it's not a hundred percent, but he does a really good job with it. The region they were in, they were the three seed, and they were in. The region with Ohio State is the one which I personally believe is the current weakest one seed that there is. Um, Alabama was the two seed. We've already got a head-to-head win over Alabama. I think that that team is is really falling apart recently. Uh, you had Kansas was the four. Oklahoma obviously was the three. Kansas was the four seed. They're playing a lot better basketball now, but not the Kansas that that you're used to. It was by far 
the best region and you look at it, it's like, oh my gosh, if this actually would happen, Oklahoma has a real chance of making a deep uh, tournament run. But with back-to-back losses, uh, Kansas State, which is maybe one of the worst losses as the number seven team in the country, maybe one of the worst losses in all of college basketball this year, and then you lose at home against Oklahoma State, they need this win big time on Monday because there are, it's already going to affect them big time whenever it comes to the next bracketology. And I know this is just a, a look at it, but it's a, it's a pretty good indicator of where they're going to be. They were looking beautiful, and I don't know if they're going to get back to, to that good of a, of a look as they had. Yeah, maybe if they you know, win, win a couple games and then win a couple in the Big 12 tournament, maybe they can get back to that exact position because, yeah, the scenario you laid out before they had a bad week that sounds like about as good as it could be. It's yeah, right? it was, it was oh, that hurts. Absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Rough week, rough week for Sooners basketball. We could turn huh? it. There's still time to turn it around. And I know that obviously Kansas now is going to win the big 12 tournament, right? Scumbags, but you know, Hey, do you see those red jerseys they wore? Do you like, that them? was horrible. No, you didn't, didn't like, like them. Him. I can't just, I still can't decide if I liked it. By the well, way, I picked Kansas to win that game. I knew they were going to win that game. It Baylor was in a horrible like spot it, there. But. The way that they were playing everything. I'll just say this. The red jersey as a standalone, I thought it was fine. I thought it was a, a decent look. But for a home game against one of the top teams in the country where everyone in the, in the nation is going to be watching, you wear your known jerseys. People flip it on the TV and say, who the hell is Baylor playing tonight? <laughs> That's not what you want. You want your your logo, the thing that you've worked so hard to be well-known. That's what you want. You want well, people to see you in that. I think they still knew it was Kansas. Have you seen the size of the bird in the middle of that yeah, court? It's that's absurd. True, but in big moments like that, go with Old Faithful, man. Go traditional. I just – the one thing that bothered me about him is like, I felt like the font for the last names on the back was just way too small. I was like, why is that font so small? I, I, some things that bother me when I'm watching sports or my mind is, uh, it's just weird. Okay. My winner of the weekend, uh, thought about going with Kyler Murray because saw that he donated 60,000 meals to the North Texas food bank. Uh, that's absolutely big time after what some of those people went through with the winter storm. Uh, I also thought about going with Steve Sarkeesian because his six-year, $34.2 million contract officially got approved by Texas's regents. And I think there's some other incentives in there that he can hit. But He's got to go for more uh, private jet hours than just 20 hours. Yeah, what Come was on, that? Man. Only 20? Let's go. Does that... That can't include recruiting. I know the dead period's still going, but like... Is I that think like that's a, just personal. Just where I am... Yeah. It seems like it should be more than 20 hours, right? The way you work that is right whenever you've got them on the hook, you're meeting to, uh, we're going to sign the papers. Here we go. It's like, oh, yeah, by the way, I want uh, 80 hours on the private jet. I mean, that can't be the thing that, like, kills us here, right? And, you know, that's what you end up getting. It's the last bullet point that your agent brings up. Everything's been agreed to. And he would like 1,000 hours. (laughs) That's right. 
But well, my winner of the week, I'm going to go with Alan winner of the week, and I'm going to go Alan Bowman because he comes out, announces that he will grad transfer to Michigan. Now, I know Michigan wasn't good last season, but that roster certainly has more talent to work with than Texas Tech's does. They got some players now, Ted. And I was looking at Bowman's situation. He's got a solid shot of competing for that job because, remember, Joe Milton entered the transfer portal. Remember when he was supposed to be the next great Michigan quarterback after, like, one game? Dylan McCaffrey hit the portal, so he just has to beat out the Cade McNamara kid, and they got a hotshot freshman that's there uh, that came in the recruiting class, but now he's still going to be coached by Jim Harbaugh, which that sucks. I feel bad for him, but he's still, as far as having a chance to get on the field, this seems like a really good landing spot. seems like a really solid situation for Alan Bowman, Ted. It does. I mean, I... The the opportunity is there. The problem is every quarterback that's gone to play for Harbaugh has gotten worse, not gotten better. So I don't know when the last time there was a quarterback there that he elevated. I don't know what's going on, but he's lost the touch if he ever had it with quarterbacks. Now, we know there's one thing that Bowman's got. He's got the ability to absolutely make every single throw on the field huge arm he's accurate as long as he's given time in the pocket so we'll see it'll be by far the best talent he's been surrounded with and it's not even close yeah very accurate when both of his lungs work critical critical fact need to be able to breathe our man bowman needs to be able to breathe it's a crucial part of football <laughs> often <part>. overlooked <laughs> crucial for him okay my loser of the weekend uh thought about going with north dakota state right their 39-game winning streak snapped by Southern Illinois, and they kind of got dominated. It was not a fluke loss. Like, they, they got worked. But then I realized it saved us all the stupid debates that undoubtedly were coming if they would have broken OU's 47-game winning streak. So I'm so damn happy <laughs> that that happened. I also thought about going with Baylor basketball because lost their first game of the year against Kansas. But... I'm going to give them a break because they aren't the same team right now. Hopefully they get back to the rhythm they were in before they had that three-week pause. Uh, I, I don't know. We'll, we'll see if they can get there. Those were both good options, but my loser of the week, because I can't turn down a great opportunity, Teddy, is Dan Mullen. You're mad because <laughs> the Florida Gators – Thought that they had the replacement for Kyle Pitts. Uh, Eric Gilbert, who was an absolute stud tied in from LSU, had entered the transfer portal. He had committed to Florida, but this weekend, Gilbert announced that he has decommitted for Florida and says he won't announce his decision until he's enrolled somewhere. It is such a shame that a man as great as Dan Mullen had a player decommit from him. I just, I can't believe Dan Mullen's not going to have that guy on his team, Ted. I just, loser of the weekend. I can't believe it. I hated to see it for old Dan. Um, I don't know what happened. I don't, I don't, I haven't seen or heard anything here, but this dude is legit. And where he ends up, he's going to be a one and done. See, he's just a, was he a true freshman last year? Yeah. 
So he's got two years left that, that he'll be wherever he goes. He is a total stud. Big, strong, looks about as good as you possibly can in a uniform. So um, wherever he ends up going, is that's going to be huge. It's going to be huge for whatever team that is. Thank God it's not Florida. That that's got to be that's the best news Mike there it Stoops is. has had that's already. That's what I was waiting right? for. Thank uh, God it's not Florida. Yeah, I we'll we'll see where he ends up. Wouldn't mind him ending up at Oklahoma. I don't uh, I don't know. I, you got to reach out if you're Lincoln, though. I mean, the kid's well, an absolute freak show. So what was it? He the rumor, anyways, was that he wanted to be closer to home from LSU, right? That was originally what, what kind of came out. Yeah. And I think he's from, I want to say he's Atlanta from the state area? of Georgia. Yeah. I think it's the Atlanta area. But so, huh. I don't know. But I'm really glad he's not playing for Florida. Same. Dan Mullen, <laughs> clown. All right. And on that note, episode 90 in the books. We'll have a new podcast that'll drop Thursday morning. Just a reminder, you can hear Teddy from 2 to 6 on Sports Talk 1400. You can hear me from 3 to 5 on SiriusXM Big 12 Radio, Channel 375. Hope you all have a great week. Till next time, we appreciate you all for listening. And do you do what you, Dang it. It's been a while since I messed that up. Yeah, it has. But, I think that's the first time you've met. Well, the first couple out of the gate, I think, were a bit choppy, but then it was old, old routine. I messed it up. Here we go. Do what you always do, Oklahoma. Take care of each other.